Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast with Chris Broholm. This show will inspire, motivate, and teach you how to learn foreign languages the best way. On this show, you'll hear incredible stories from amazing language learners who've learned 5 to 10, even 30-plus languages, as well as industry experts who help shape modern language learning through innovation and research. As we dive into language learning methods, techniques, and apps, you'll quickly discover what works and what doesn't. This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, and this is Chris Broholm. Today's episode is sponsored by Optolingo. You can learn more than 18 languages through guided immersion. Get your first lesson for free by going to optolingo.com or just search the App Store for Optolingo. That's O-P-T-I-L-I-N-G-O. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 175 of the Extra Fluency Podcast, uh, recording from very sunny uh, Denmark at the moment, where I'm staying for the summer. I hope you guys are having a good time despite of the ongoing situation. And to everyone listening in the future, I hope we're out of it by then. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Tetsu Young, who's one of the organizers of Langfest, a uh, annual language learning conference usually took place in Montreal, Canada, but uh, recently has moved to uh, Mexico for the next version of it. I'm not sure if they're going to go back to Montreal or not, but we do get a little chance to talk about Langfest at the end of this episode. So do stay around if you're interested. As always, I love these conferences and to me, they're, they're great fun and a good way to meet like-minded people exchange ideas, and of course, practice your languages. You know, you'd never find such a linguistic diversity in, in one place as when the uh, Polygon Conference or the uh, Polygon Gathering or the Polygon Cruise that I'm organizing are in sort of the same place. So, but today's topic is actually a little bit different. We're going to go back to and revisit a topic we talked about many, many years ago, four years ago to be exact, uh, when Tetsu was last on the podcast. And uh, Tetsu is a person who impressed me greatly with his commitment to teaching his children languages. And it's a question I see asked a lot, like, how do you actually teach your children languages? That maybe it's a heritage language or it's uh, your second languages or your own first language when you live in a country that doesn't speak that as a first language or any other language, really. I mean, there, there aren't really any limitations. And I had the chance to go and meet Tessa's family in uh, Montreal, Canada, and saw it firsthand how the kids were speaking and understanding, you know, five different languages. And uh, so I had him on the show originally to talk about how that was going. At the time, the kids were very young. Uh, I think it was about maybe one and two maybe one and three definitely very young um maybe a little bit older actually let me correct that they were slightly older but um very young so it was a little bit unclear as to how it's going to look but then of course the kids have grown now and they're doing better than ever in their multilingual uh, expressions they understand all the languages and they're doing really well and most importantly they're having a lot of fun with it which i think is important but anyway i thought the time was right to bring tatsu back and do a little refresher on the multilingual uh, children. How did how do you do it? What's the kind of method? And he advocates very strongly for one method. So stay tuned to hear how that works out. And uh, we kind of go over what's changed since uh, the kids have grown. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's it's important. It's a really important topic, and it's a really I think it's a big gift you can give as a parent is definitely the gift of multilingualism. If you have the opportunity, if you have the, um, basically the energy, I think it's very uh, time consuming. It's definitely a, a big kind of pressure. And obviously there, there is some push to go the other way. For instance, when families emigrate to other places, there's kind of a, sometimes the native language is a little bit looked down on. It's like, you know, foreign in a way. It's easier to fit in if you speak like the main language of the country you've arrived at. And so parents sometimes uh, think 
they're doing kids a favor by not speaking the heritage language at home uh, because they feel like if they if the kids hear multiple languages, they're just going to get confused and not be able to speak, uh, let's say, English if they're in America or something like that as well. And they also might fear that the kids get you know, bullied or fall behind or there are lots of different reasons. Uh, but actually, most of those are myths and kids don't really get confused with that. You know, So listen to what Tetsu has to say he, and his uh, stories about teaching his kids five different languages, which I think is amazing. And uh, I hope it inspires some parents out there or parents-to-be to, be, to uh, do something similar for their kids. So enjoy this episode 175 of the Actual Fluency Podcast, and I'll see you in the next one. All right, Tetsu, welcome back to the Actual Fluency Podcast. It's been, yeah, like over four years since you were on here last, so time really does fly. And I guess especially when you have kids, you, you notice that. But um, before we get into how things are going today and some of your latest work with the YouTube channel and whatnot. Do you want to give the listeners just a quick background of your methodology and who you are and, and maybe what we talked about you know, so many yeah. years ago? Well, well, first of all, thank, thank you, Chris, for, uh, for having me on your show again. This is uh, you know, a big honor. And uh, so, so to your audience, well, thank you for listening. My name is Tetsu Young. I uh, have a YouTube channel uh, that I'm... Uh, that I'm very passionate about uh, since last year. Uh, it's called Ask Tetsu, so ask me anything. And uh, what I talk about is how I raise my kids. Uh, so I am half Japanese, half Taiwanese, and I raise my kids in five languages. So that's Mandarin, Japanese, English, French, and Spanish. Now, English and French, because we live in Quebec, Canada, so they go to school in French and uh and we have a lot of input in uh, English. And Spanish is uh, something is really one, the only one of the five languages that we've introduced artificially uh, th- through uh, through hiring nannies from uh, other countries. So, in a nutshell, that's that's what we do. How do you want to that's to develop on this, on this uh, topic? Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, first of all, it's a very interesting subject, and I I, I remember our, our last chat vividly because it's. I think it's something that almost every parent, if you ask them, would love to give their child like the the gift of a, a second or yeah. or multiple languages. But uh, n- almost nobody knows how to actually go about doing it practically. So maybe if you could outline sort of the the method that you've been using and and how you were inspired uh, to do that initially. You're, you're right, Chris. Uh, uh, most of the parents want their kids to learn a second or. Th- yeah, most of them is second language. Uh, a rare few wants a third one or beyond. Uh, but there's also people who don't like, uh, don't want their kids to have more than one language. They, these are people who think that if you have two languages or more, that it will confuse your kids. Uh, they it will cause you know delays in speech development or or uh, de- or you know it'll mess up their their academics and, and whatnot. So there are people like that, and and you know it's a choice. I'm. Uh, I, I know that the data does not suggest that it will cause confusion in kids, but, uh, obviously, like I said, it's a strategy. Now, for us, we're firm believers that kids can learn multiple languages at the same time. And more importantly, we're firm believers that we have to do this early. Like how early is like, for me, mm-hmm. it's from day one or even before that. I've, I've been talking to my wife's tummy, uh, since 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 my first son was uh were, were, you know since she was pregnant with our first child and this is really our strategy you know very strictly we have we we do what is called opal so we follow this religiously so it's o p o l it's one person one language some people call it one parent one language but in our case we have uh five languages so <laughs> kind of overruns the, the number of parents <laughs> so so uh, the concept is very simple uh the execution is very uh you know the, requires a lot of discipline but the concept is simple one person you know speaks one language exclusively with the child uh, with the children so we have four kids i just had my fourth one during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> my fourth child was born in Nagasaki on April 10th, and uh, I have not seen her yet. 
<laughs> the family's coming back in August. Wow. So so I'm here in Quebec because my parents are here. So once this this pandemic started, I shipped them all to Japan because it was uh, quite you know we we spend some time in in Asia every year. So we just sent them earlier this year, and they've been there since uh, March 19th. They'll come back in August. So I won't have seen my family for five months when they come back, and my daughter will be four months when I wow. first hold her. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyways, went off on a little tangent there, uh, but yeah, but like I said, I okay. speak Mandarin exclusively with the kids. My wife is Japanese; she speaks Japanese exclusively with the kids. It's her, it's her mother tongue, so you know, it works out well. Uh, we live in Quebec, so French is the official language in this province. They go to school in French. Every, you know, once we leave the house, most of the people are francophones. Uh, but we do have uh, a lot of English input also. So I go out of my way to find, for example, sp- skating coaches who speak English or, or horseback riding coach for my daughter who are, who, who's an Anglophone. And I specifically request them to speak only English with, uh, with the kids rather than French. Uh, things like that. So that, that allows me to add, add the, the English dimension. And uh, I mentioned earlier, we hire uh, au pairs. So these are live-in nannies from Mexico. They come to our home and they live with us for anywhere from six to 18 months. And I think the longest we've had was eight, 16 months or so. Um, and, and yeah, they, they, they're with us. They, they're here for exchange, you know, like a cultural exchange. And, and uh, they, they, in exchange, they take care of the kids. And I asked them to speak exclusively in Spanish. And I help them in English most of the time. That's what they want. So that's, that covers five languages. Got it. That's a lot. Well, I mean, for most yeah. people, that sounds like a lot. But it sounds like you've, you've got it kind well, of structured in a way that it's really exactly. not Exactly. The, the, the whole concept is simple. And then we what we spend a lot of time on and effort on is really about the the environment the infrastructure and the the most important keyword that i always uh, tell folks is habits building habits to speak you know one specific language with your kid that's a habit that you 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 must build and make that you know make it weird that if you had to speak a different language with your kids it you know if it becomes weird like for example with my kids they always speak Mandarin with me because they don't know otherwise. And if they were to speak a different language with me, it would feel very weird. It would feel like it's a, you know, a special occasion. Uh, so, because whenever I talk about the, our strategy, the Opal strategy, people go, but don't they, you know, don't your kids see you speaking other languages to other people? And I, and I always tell them, yes, that, that's not, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. What's important is the language that you speak with your kids and that habit that you have built uh, speaking that specific language with your children. Right. And just uh, just maintaining it, I, I can imagine. Well, maybe it's if it's a secondary language, it's a little bit different. But if I would imagine that if I was to speak, let's say, in Denmark, let's say I would be speaking exclusively English to my, uh, you know, theoretical uh son or daughter that it would be a little awkward but i guess if you primarily go for the na- the native languages then it's just you're just speaking a native language so that's well, it, different it's, i guess it's so, a choice so is that I think a- it's a choice uh, mandarin is not my first language um i grew up in taiwan so i speak mandarin very well but it's not my first language in terms of fluency in terms of you know i've never been educated in in mandarin so uh, it's it's in it's my fourth language really in terms of fluency uh but i still decided that that's what i need to do since there's no other uh input source for my for my kids and you know i built this the the strat you know, the the habit right from day one like i said and um and it's working out well and also uh i'd like to mention that i bring the kids uh well the wife and the kids and the au pair to uh japan every spring so we're talking end of april to about end of june and then i bring the kids over to taiwan 
for um, for July and August. Uh, so in Japan, they go to a local Japanese school. Their Japanese gets strengthened uh, significantly over those two months. And then we go to Taiwan. They go to a Taiwanese local school or camp. And, and then their language gets significantly strengthened during those two months. And then we come back to Quebec. And then we start the cycle again. They go to their you know normal school here in French. And they have their English input. And so, so this is uh, another thing that we do that allows the environment to favor, you know, Japanese, like, you know, being in Japan 24-7 for, for two months, uh, and in Taiwan being with Mandarin for, you know, 24-7 for two months. Yeah. Except this year. Except this year, they're, they've been right. in Japan, and we can't go to Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. So this <laughs> year, I, I see that my third child uh, with two months uh, in Japan, uh, three months now, uh, that he had forgotten quite a bit of Mandarin, uh, even though I talked to him, you know, on, on, on Facebook Messenger. It's, I, I see it, you know, deteriorating. So f- for the past month, we've hired mm-hmm. a Taiwanese nanny. We, you know, very lucky we were able to find a Taiwanese nanny uh, who comes in every day for about a, an hour or two. And immediately you see a lot of his vocabulary is coming back. And uh, so... That's the best we can do this year for for Mandarin, since we can't go to Taiwan. Of course, yeah, the times are, are different, but that's really interesting that you that you, that you can kind of see that yeah. happening. So it's really about just like any other language learning project. Really, you have to keep keep well, doing it. You keep consistency is to yes, not forget. <laughs> yes, to a certain degree. So here's my aim. My my. Minimum aim is to do this until 10 years old. Uh, but my, okay. uh, my stretch goal, my challenge is really until 12. And that's, that means end of elementary school. I left Taiwan right after elementary school and I had not spoken Mandarin for a whole 17 years without speaking any Mandarin because I had nobody to speak Mandarin to, uh, in Canada. I only right. picked it back up when I went to Japan to work in uh, 2003 after 17 years. But it was there. Uh, it was a little rusty for the first few days. Right. But I was right back to my 13-year-old uh, level of Mandarin within, you know, a few days. And, and so that tells me that languages that you acquire when you're very young, you know, I'm, I'm using the specific word acquired from, you know, acquisition from the, the crashing theories uh, compared to learning languages, which is you know, more of a cerebral intellectual activity. Uh, so I, I'm really aiming for this, you know, my kids to be exposed to, to these languages at least you know, extensively until age 12, hopefully, uh, minimum age 10. Right. And that's when I'll start to, I, I guess, let it go a little bit more. Uh, with life, you know, happening, <laughs> getting busier and busier for these kids. Yeah, of course, they're going to have lives of their own, independent from their parents at that point. And I guess the, so what you're saying is that by then they have such a strong foundation in the language that, yeah, they might, you know, deteriorate slightly, but it's going to be exactly. like riding a bike. It's going to come back exactly. to you. Exactly. Now, my, I, my third child right now, he's forgetting because he's only three. And so, right. you know, two months without uh, this exposure is uh, is a significant part of his, you know, his whole life. <laughs> you think about it. It's it's just not ingrained enough. Uh, where if you've been exposed to these right. languages up to about twelve years old, it's there. It's written. It's it's like written into the hard drive. You know. Um, so so that's that's sure. what I'm aiming for. So we need to keep it up until at least ten if not 12 years old, is, is my aim. Yeah, well, that sounds like a, I mean, still a, well, it's, still a long it's mission. At least 10 to 12 years got, from now, uh, if I don't have more kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you've got, so you you have uh, four kids. So you, do you see, is there a difference in the kind of uh, experience like, or does it, does the method just work method kind of across the board or? Is there any difference, like uh, boy or girl? Like, well, do you see any yes, differences in, but, in the kind of the? Well, the short process. answer is the method works across the board. Okay, 
now. But if we develop on that a little bit, is that uh, there are individual differences in terms of development pace. Um, my first son was very quick. Now, he, even though I say very quick, it's like relatively speaking, within our family, he was the fastest. But he only started really <clears throat> picking up vocabulary and talking around 19 or 20 months or so. Now, I know early kids start talking at around one year old. Like they, they've got, you know, many words. Uh, my son was saying, uh, I guess, sounds, producing sounds and like pointing at things uh, at one or, you know, 15 months or so. But he really started saying things uh, around, I think, 19 or 20 months or so. And, and then it took off. So that was the fastest in our kids. My daughter, on the other hand, was a good six to eight months slower than, than my son um, in, in terms of developing her vocabulary. And, and, and but, but it still works. Uh, there are you know, individual differences. A lot of people say girls pick it up faster than boys, but it was the opposite in our case. And then our third child was sort of in between. Uh, it wasn't as slow as uh, my daughter, but uh, he was slower than my first son. So these differences, you know, over a lifetime is negligible, right? We were a little concerned with, uh, with the daughter since, since uh, I think she was about 27 or 28 months and, and still not saying a lot of words. Um, and we did take right. her to a speech therapist uh, to, to, you know, just to make sure there's no like physiological impediments. Uh, and uh, the speech therapist just, you know, said the most obvious thing that anybody can say. It's like, oh, it's because she's learning so many languages. And I'm not a specialist in those <laughs> languages, so I cannot. Right. You know, oh, okay. Well, but the good news is, like literally, two, three weeks after that, her vocabulary started exploding. I mean, that was you know, amazing to see. Uh, <coughs> so... It's it you know it it just it comes with, you know, it, with time you just have to have faith, um, you know I've heard that Albert Einstein only started you know beginning to talk around four years old or something like that so, you know. This is the Actual Fluency Podcast with Chris Broham. Make sure to join the Actual Fluency Email Club by going to actualfluency.com/slash/join. We'll be right back after these messages. A big shout out to Optilingo for sponsoring the Actual Fluency Podcast here in 2020. Optilingo is a language learning app that features a method known as guided immersion to teach you over 18 languages at the time of recording this segment and it focuses a lot about speaking and repeating and listening, of course, to get your pronunciation just right. It doesn't bother about grammar. It doesn't bother about long explanations of syntax or morphology or any kind of complicated concepts that kind of hold you back from speaking better. And um, you can get a free lesson right now if you go to optolingo.com. That's O-P-T-I-L-I-N-G-O.com, Optolingo. And uh, if you do decide to subscribe for the full version of each language, like I said, there are 18, there are more than 18 actually <laughs> available. And it's only five bucks a month. So it's extremely affordable as well for the, for the full package. But I'm just really happy they are part of the podcast here in 2020. And it's run by my good friend, John T, who kind of stumbled upon the method that the app teaches when he was trying to learn his own heritage language of Circassian, of which there is a, not a lot of uh, resources out there for. So thank you so much to Jonti and Optolingo. I hope you give it a try. And uh, let's get back to the action. You're listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. And now back to Chris. Yeah, and I guess it's it's going to be worth it in, in the end anyway. Like even just because it, it doesn't really matter when you start. It's more like, mm -hmm. you know, you finish your, your languages and... I think that uh, just a little delay in the beginning will 
I mean, uh, I, I'm sure she will make up for it in, in her, uh, you know, five, five or more. But well, one thing I can say for up. sure is that both my first son and my daughter who are going to school, uh, they're doing, you know, above average, even in French, which is their academic uh, language. So with five languages, their French is not behind other kids. In fact, it's actually above average. So that that tells me yeah, that you know amazing. this this worry that people have uh, if you do more languages you will cause delays uh, you know in their speech development uh, it's just you know that's the main worry people have when they think about doing that. That's right. I mean, there are even medical doctors who tell parents to, you know, not let them learn two languages at once because they're going to get confused and it's going to cause speech delays. And they should always learn one language well and then go on to the next language. I mean, that's, but by that time, you know, you've, you've passed the critical period. It's much harder. It's much harder. Yeah. What other concerns do people have when, let's say, they, they would like the idea of their kids being multilingual, but, they have some reservations um, or concerns. I don't know about concerns. Well, yeah, actually, there is another one, uh, another big one that I hear uh, a lot, and it's that uh, identity uh, issue. They say people, you know, kids with multiple languages will develop, you know, sort of a emotional confusion. Um, <laughs> and, you know, with these different <laughs> languages, they they won't know who they are. Uh, and right. so what, what can I say? That sounds a bit strange to me. Uh, I think that's yeah, an identity I, in and of itself, isn't it? That you have well, multiple yeah, languages to express. I just don't think you should like make a make an issue out of it. Let your kid be themselves wherever they go with whatever language that they express themselves in. And um, I, I've not seen any issues with my kids right now. And my, my oldest will be will be right. eight Do in. Uh, in in a few days, uh, my second is uh, six, going on seven in uh, this winter. So you know, it's it's quite advanced in terms of development, mental development, psychological development. So if I were to have seen identity issues, I think I would have seen certain uh, signs already. <laughs> and they're not get, right. they're not getting rejected at but, school. But, they're not getting bullied. Uh, um, so so far so good. Right. But you were also brought up with sort of similar principles, right? So you could have you have the personal experience to know yeah. what it does. I, mean, definitely. To. I, I can I can rely on my own experience. Although, you know, as a as somebody who's been trained in science, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't stress it too much as this is anecdotal, right? I you know, I maybe I am successful, but maybe it's because I'm a genius. Like some people say, Oh, that's you're special. You know? The more I, say, <laughs> right. I, I always think if you think that way, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> you know, if, if you, right. you want to learn, you know, get inspired from, you know, other people's success, then saying that they're exceptional will not help. <laughs> you know, so. Right. But do you think that the, the reason that there's like a bit, a bit of a pushback to the idea, do you think that primarily comes from like traditionally your monoglot countries like, you know, English speaking or, you know, like the UK or parts of the US where there just isn't that historical you know, language mm. learning element that other other countries have, like even Scandinavia, you know, I would say yeah. is effectively bilingual. You know, obviously, Quebec is, a, is another good example. Um, parts of Europe, you know, and, and I know in Asia, it's even more popular that, you know, it being monolingual is almost the exception uh, because you have all the dialects and you have all the, the local variations. And um, So do you think that plays a big role in, in kind of the, it's it's such an un, unknown for, I guess we're talking especially about the yeah, English speaking world right, right now. Um, like Japanese is also, uh, you know, a very homogenous population, a very monolingual uh, country. Um, so I, I do see some parents who, you know, stress that you have to first learn Japanese well, and you shouldn't go on to English or other languages before your kid can speak Japanese well. It's hard to define what well mm. is, you know, to begin with. <laughs> yeah, but, That's but the I, first do, problem, yeah. I, I do think you're, you're right in that maybe these folks 
who are monolinguals, they sort of cast their own limitations on their kids and, and think that, you know, if, if they have difficulty learning languages, then it must be a super burden on the kids. Um, yeah, or there's just no historical yeah. context whatsoever. Whereas if you go to somewhere like Belgium, I mean, probably most of the population yeah. will get by in three languages. So for them, I mean, that's second nature. But if you grew up in a, let's say, in, a, in, a, in an English-speaking home with, with no history of other languages, then maybe it's just so foreign that you don't even... You don't mm. even think that it's possible. That might be the the big stop to uh, to some some people's uh, I ideas. So. I think so. Europe is you know it's it's really special in that a lot of countries in Europe have this multi multilingual environment as like a matter of fact. So so yeah, true. It's cool. I mean, it's definitely. I would say. I mean, we would definitely not be having this podcast here if De- if Denmark was not that good at, at English, for instance. We also have German, of course, but, you know, if we didn't have that language early on in this in school and, and relatively successfully, so there's no chance this podcast would have ever seen the light of day because I would, would not have even considered languages. So I, I feel quite, quite fortunate that it is such a big part of it, but I think that also comes with being a, a relatively mm-hmm. smaller country that you're kind of relying on the culture of, of other countries and obviously Hollywood movies and TV shows and video games. And the, they don't produce those in yeah. all of those in Danish. Uh-huh. So you're kind of forced to do it in a, in a way. But if you imagine just, you know, being in a, in an English speaking country and everything is in English, you, you know, there's no pressure to, to improve. And, and so most people don't, uh, which is kind of a shame because, there's a lot of languages. If you take the U.S., for example, every city has like, you know, a lot of languages in them, a lot of minority communities where you could really improve the life of yourself and, and the people around you if you if you learned a little bit of the, the local language. But I guess the the wow. history is just not there. The, they just don't see the there's need. There's no Everybody caters yeah, to them. there's no president I mean, for yeah, and I, I totally understand that. You know, I'm not saying that people who only speak one language are, are bad people or anything. I, I think there's a very reasonable explanation for that position. And I don't think I would be any different if I was in that position because we are influenced very much by our, you know, yeah. community and our family. So, you know, the the fact that I, I learned English very well was just a coincidence because of video games and culture, you know. But then you have countries like I've – I'm not really too strong on this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but – countries like india where you have so many local variation dialects that it's normal for people to and in africa i've heard as well that people speak a lot of languages on average so the idea of speaking only one language would probably be as Mm -hmm. foreign to them (laughs) well i would imagine but hopefully you can help promote the uh you know the multilingual uh multilingualism in general but also to to parents with uh with children and Putting out a podcast like this hopefully well, helps that mission. I definitely to get hope more so. People to... um, I, I do know that there's a there's a lot of parents who, you know, like you said, they they they're struggling with, you know, your, their their kids learning just a second language, and they, you know they they run out of ideas, you know, other than TVs and, and books and apps, and um, but I always I was you know try to get them to strategize about really you know how to go about it and not not sort of randomly just picking up tips and, and stuff uh really how can you do it how can you do that if you let's say you don't know any languages yourself but you'd like to give your kids like a multilingual upbringing are there any ways to do that i mean i guess people could could get au pairs as well but are there any let's say if would it would it be good for me for instance to use a yeah, I don't know. Would I learn the well, language first? Or I mean, there's, there's many ways to think about it, uh, but you first have to, you know, set the parameters. Uh, one is, why why are you getting your kid to learn this language, uh, right? And what mm-hmm. level do you expect him or her to reach uh, with the efforts that you're going to put in? And uh, assuming assuming you want them, you know, to to speak and, and uh, well, hear, listen and speak very well, uh, then what is your 
budget or, or F, you know, resources, I guess, in terms of money and time uh, that you can invest in it. And then, and then you have to start there. Then comes down the question of your, your uh, abilities that you were saying. If you speak this target language, then you have more options. Uh, but if you don't, then mm-hmm. what do you need to do? Do you bring in somebody to replace you? Like an au pair, an exchange student, a nanny, uh, a family member, you know, bring in grandma to live with you guys. You know, different ideas. Or do you want to move to another country? You know, it's, it, mm. it's easier said than done for a lot of countries in the world. But in Europe, I mean, it's relative, it's easier, I think, than a Japanese leaving Japan and going to the States, for example. Uh, right. So it depends on, Absolutely. so yeah. there's, there's different strategies and what you're ready to commit to. But what I see often, uh, is that they sort of expect a lot more than what they're willing to put in. And there's like a discrepancy between, you know, their expectations and, and mm. the actual outcome <laughs> given the input that they put in. So that, that's unfortunate. <laughs> you know, pe- people think it's, you know, what do I say? Uh, they're more enthusiastic. Uh, about their efforts, then you know they they realize that <laughs> out of this is you know, takes a lot more discipline right. and, and and smartness. I think you need to really analyze the situation well, and and rather than just going in blindly. And I guess when you start the project, you're you're essentially starting yeah. quite a long project because you Absolutely. if you it's, have a goal in mind, like you've you said, ten twelve years, you know. <laughs> Then oh, that's every that's day right. consistently speaking. That's right. Mandarin so that's, to that's kids. why we focus on the the environment and the scalability of our our strategies, uh, rather than let's say every day I have to read to my children, you know, uh, an hour. Then if it's like four kids, you know, even if I read to two at at the same time, uh, you know, how, how much time do I actually have to do it myself? Yeah. Uh, if I were to do all five languages yeah. myself rather than rely on other people uh, or even even for Spanish, you know, if I were to teach some Spanish by myself rather than bring in an au pair and, and save that money, uh, now I, I spend it in time instead, what, what can I expect as outcome and, and, and the risks too of, of these, uh, the, these strategies? Like I, I am really religious about one person, one language and to build this habit of speaking one language with the kids because, because I am, I'm very afraid that if I switch around with them, they're going to pick just the one language that they're most comfortable in and re- start refusing to, yeah. to speak in the other target languages. So I don't want that. I want it. I want them to feel weird to speak any other language than Mandarin with me. <laughs> yeah, well, that seems you know, to be. Yeah, it's like the parameters are kind of straightforward, so they don't change. You don't have to. Exactly. You almost don't have to think too much because you. This is just the way it is. You know, you don't have to set up. So a little, yeah, exactly. And a little fun question, I guess. Uh, I don't know if there's any answer to this, but you're obviously uh, five languages. uh, For many people, they would say like that sounds crazy. That's um, but do you think that? theoretically more could be possible like what would a limit look like do you think i know well, that's just theorizing the speculation um, but i have heard i i can't confirm but i have heard that you need 20 to uh, you need 20 to 25 percent or something like that of your uh, of exposure of, of your waking hours to a specific language to be able to get it to a very high or native level now I have seen some references, but it was it was uh, on on bilingual kids. So I I, I don't know how ex- you know how much you can ex- extrapolate and uh, apply this to all the kids out there. But that's what I have heard. Now, if it's twenty twenty five percent, then I'm you know at at five, I'm at the limit. You know, and intuitively, one yeah. would think that I mean, obviously, you only you're only awake for a certain number of hours, especially kids, uh, you know, two-year-olds, they, they sleep like more than half the day. So, so <laughs> yeah. you have to use those hours, you know, wisely. And I, I do think that for, uh, 
four to five would be like the the limit if you want to get to a very high level. Right. Like by high, I mean be able to work in that language. No, by high, I mean being able to, you know, yeah, make good friends, like you know, real friends, not acquaintances, and talk about very complex yeah. ideas, you know, philosophy, you know, opinion. Yeah, I say do everything. So not, you know, not necessarily like to become an interpreter. No, not not like language specialist way, but right. as a, as using the tool for uh, the language as a communication tool without any obstacles. Uh, that's that's sort of what I want the kids to be able to do with the languages that we're getting them to do. Interesting, and and one one of the things we we touched on a little bit earlier was. You said you mentioned in the last episode, which is episode eighty-seven, which I recommend people go and listen to as well. Um, you mentioned that nothing's really changed, so I guess you didn't change the method as the kids grew older, or you didn't come up with any new no. angles or anything. It was just basically yeah. consistency. consistency. I mean, it's been this since you know before our first son was born. You know, so all, all the <laughs> rails were were laid down on in those days. Uh, whatever we add or subtract or modify, it's, you know, it's, it's minor, it's minor, you know, modifications to the, the overall strategy. The overall strategy is still one person, one language, and we set up the environment so that the kids can learn and to, to use these languages naturally. Uh, and they are motivated to, yeah. to communicate in those languages, uh, with the specific people involved. So something I, I would say is, you know, we, we, we could come up with new, new reading material, new apps and new, you know, uh, new books, uh, new cartoons, things like that. Yeah. But the still, it's, it's the overall strategy is still the same. Uh, this year with COVID, you know, I mentioned the, the kids are having a lot less exposure to Mandarin since I am here in Canada and we're physically separated. Uh, and so we went out and hired a, a nanny in Japan, which is the first time we've tried this. We're, we're thinking about doing this every year now. I mean, why didn't we do this before? Mm. Um, so <laughs> these are modifications that we've done oh, along the way, but we've not done, uh, you know, 180 on any of our strategies per se, like, like the big core. Right. Which I think is also something worth underlining is basically use every opportunity so you know if you live in quebec obviously go to a french school and you know english exactly. is everywhere and well you'll get you know, that. i know a lot of uh people in japan they send their kids to english schools right so so they automatically mm. learn very well. because they're gonna get the japanese exactly. they're gonna get the japanese anyway so much well yeah i, think that's I mean it's idea. more expensive on this on the spot but when you really think about it as an investment, I think it's much cheaper yeah. now. Even though every year I'm spending you know, <laughs> uh, uh, thousands of dollars bringing in people from outside for Spanish or for you know English, it's so much cheaper than having them do it when they're 18 or, or 19. Uh, and there's so much, it's with much better outcome, uh, I think, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I mean, you're giving exactly. it's a, it's a gift for them and for their future. It, it's you can't put a value on multilingualism. If you, if you just want them to, you know, help you <clears throat> order beer and and when you're on a when you're out as a tourist, then no, you don't. You probably don't have to work so hard. But you know, that's not our aim. We're really aiming like very high for each of these languages. So so that's where we're going all out. Like our, our, yeah. our lives just it's like revolve option. around the kids, not the other way around. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think most parents would, would say that, you know, it's, it's kids are definitely a, a big well, you know, <laughs> job I, to I begin with. As but... far as saying, <clears throat> I've changed my career uh, based on the kids. You know, um, I, I've changed jobs when I first got married. Uh, knowing that my wife was living in a different country, uh, diff uh, very a different city, and I have to you know take a flight to uh, Nagasaki. That's where she was at the time. I was in Tokyo. I had to go down every other weekend. I was 
very hard. And then we found out she was pregnant. Then I, I wanted to spend time with my baby and I wanted to, you know, be part of his life. Then I, I changed jobs and uh, I've been with the, the company that I am with now since 2012 because this is a, co- the, uh, this is a job position that allows me to work from home. It, I had zero experience in, in whatever that position was offering at the time, but, uh, I, I jumped in and I, I, that was tough. That first year was, was pure hell, <laughs> pure hell. But I, I <laughs> but now everyone is working I, from home. So yeah, uh, you're front runner. Exactly. Now a lot of my clients tell me that, <laughs> but I, I've been wanting this uh, since a long time ago and I find, and, uh, having my child, and, and my strategy that I wanted to implement, you know, really pushed me uh, to, to really go for it. And uh, I was, I, you know, I just never looked back. And then later, I found that my work was really overwhelming with uh, you know, three kids. I, I took a parental leave with my third child. And uh, when I came back, I told my boss, I, I can't go back to that life again. Um, and I decided to work part-time, uh, thankfully, with the Canadian uh you know, the, our company's co- policy, I was able to work part-time and still keep uh, lots of, you know, my, my position and lots of my, my benefits and whatnot. So I have been taken off, you know, the, the normal management development, um, you know, pathway. Um, I, you know, I, I don't seek higher rankings in the company anymore. And, and, but I'm, ha- I'm happy as an oyster, you know, right now with, I've got time. I can got spend with my kids, and and develop my YouTube channel. <laughs> wow! And yeah, I'm not sacrificing my health because I'm you know I'm sleeping more, reasonable hours. Uh, unlike unlike yeah, unlike what it very nice. You can spread the idea of multilingualism, and uh, you know that's kind of your your purpose that's or that's dharma right. if you want to use that's like right. a, a Sanskrit. So, so that's great. But just before we, we finish here, one last thing we have to mention is, of course, yeah. Langfest. Just before we, we go, which uh, has been one of my favorite events, uh, one of my favorite Polygon events. And uh, was the fourth? Uh, that's right. 2019 was, was our fourth event. And uh, 2020, yeah. originally, we were supposed to go to Cholula, Mexico with Richard and his Polyglot Conference. But of course, with uh, with the whole yeah. COVID situation, it's unfortunate. Uh, but the Polyglot Conference itself has been postponed to 2021 in Cholula, and we're still with them. And this year, yeah. Richard started a nice. new uh, event online, and he's calling it Polyglot Conference Global. And Langfest will be right by their side, and uh, we're co- collaborating. Uh, with some um, supporting uh, Polyglot Conference on the social side, so we'll be doing a lot of uh, activities uh, with uh, with games and and quizzes and whatnot. So that's what we're uh, we're doing this year online with Richard and uh, and his team. Wonderful. I mean, when I heard the news that you were going to Mexico, I was uh, I was simultaneously excited and disappointed because obviously I love to come back to Montreal and uh, and be there. I, I really like. I think it's one of the best cities I've ever been to. Just the cultural options there. I mean, we've had so many great experiences at the various uh, Langfests. Yeah, I remember the uh, last year we were at that a Mexican restaurant. I thought it was, uh, you know, four days before the conference, there was, there was like sixty people gathered. You know, it was absolutely fantastic, and uh, usually great weather there, and, and you know, great people. So that was a bit disappointing. But then I thought, okay, well, I'm getting to see a new country, the Langfest way, I guess you can call it, and uh, you're going to be part of like uh, the conference, which has been, which is the longest running Polygon event, and yeah. So I was really looking forward to that, of course. So. Uh, the, the whole situation with the, the pandemic and everything put a stop to that. But hopefully next year we'll, we'll get to do that and, uh, and properly party in, uh, in Cholula. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing as many people there. You know, as I, as I always say, when I talk about these events, it's like, it might be called something like the Polygon conference or the Polygon gathering. It's not really for polygons per se. I mean, there are a lot of polygons there, but it's more for people who are like just interested in language learning. And I would even go as far as say it doesn't even matter about the language learning because what I found is that the 
the people who go there, like the average person mm-hmm. is just super nice. And I've made so many great friends and connections at these events that that what we were talking about was almost unimportant. You know, it was just meeting great people. And it's almost like it qualifies people in a way to be a certain uh, nice personalities and, and really open and friendly. And of course, from all over the world, so you get so many different perspectives and and stories and experiences. So if you're listening out there and you're thinking about, oh, I'm not sure I can go, I only speak, you know, two languages or one and a half language or whatever, you know, sign up for Absolutely. sure. If you can, if you can, all you need is an interest in languages. I know that, that's really the only yeah. thing that, that aligns your, your interest with everybody who's there. And, uh, it's a unique, it, as you know, Chris, you said it, it's a, it's a very unique crowd in that everybody is just so down to earth and just so welcoming and so friendly. Yeah. Nobody's there for a competition. I absolutely I know it. A- it seems to me that, you know, some, some oh, people no. who've never been to the, these events, they sort of like have this preconceived notion that people are going to test them on their languages. And <laughs> I mean, none yeah. of that happens at, at these events. None whatsoever. No, not at all. At- and of course, uh, hopefully next year we'll be back to a normal event schedule. But um, and you can check out the Polygon Cruise as well, which is the event that I'm organizing. That's a similar feel, but a slightly smaller group. Uh, and then you have the Polygon Gathering, which is typically in the summer, and the Polygon Conference, like we just mentioned, would be in in October in Mexico. And uh, did I miss one uh, event? I think these are the big ones. That are the might be it. <laughs> yeah, life is usually in, it was usually yes. in, in Montreal uh, around year, August time, will, yeah. but this time combined, it's going to be twice oh. as good or even better. Um, and then we'll get maybe after that get back to uh, Montreal. It's, or uh, it's a plan, but who knows, for, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, nobody knows anything at this uh, point. I'm, I'm I'm sure of it, but yeah, I just want to put that in there because I really think that language learning. You know, there's a lot of people who are obviously, I would call them almost linguists. You know, they're obsessed about, uh, you know, all these grammatical structures and history of languages and stuff. And of course, they have a natural interest in going to these events. But the, I would say the vast majority of people are people who discover that languages are a great gateway to not only meeting other people, new cultures, but I think personal development and going on a journey of self-improvement and rediscovering a purpose in a way, because we all love certain elements, certain global elements. Like you might be the biggest pizza lover in the world or sushi is your thing. And you, what, how would it feel like if you went to Japan and ordered your favorite sushi set or whatever they call it? I'm not a big sushi uh, eater myself in Japanese and, and see the reaction of of a, a native speaker hearing somebody else speaking their language as a as an L two or L three or whatever, and and that can sort of become, and I think the effort to do that is is not very much. Like yeah, it's consistent effort, but it's not like you're rediscovering you know uh, quantum physics or anything. You know the steps are quite. You've learned a language before, at least one, so the the foundation is in you. You know what a verb is you know what a noun is you you know even though you might not be able to explain all of them inherently you know and so i just think that languages that's why i picked it you know i've, I've told people the story a few times that when i was at the public gathering 2014 in berlin i, I saw a, a facebook post about it by Judith meyer who, who started it and uh, i really didn't obviously i had a few languages from denmark just randomly it wasn't because i was too keen on it. I, I liked languages in school, but I didn't sit at home outside the school and, and learn languages. But I went to that one event and the people I met there just, they sealed the deal for me because they were so nice, so welcoming, like we said. And that became sort of a purpose for me. Like I want to learn more languages. I want to spread the multilingual uh, message across the world because I think it also, it makes understanding better. It, it makes communities uh, bonds better and Per, from, from a personal level, you know, as so, someone who's you know, a little bit even lost. absorbing passively the culture and and different ways of thinking, and that can only make you, uh, you know, more open minded and uh, more understanding and more inclusive. 
Absolutely. And the personal development, you know, it's like if you're struggling for something uh, like a purpose or you don't know what to do with your life, I think languages are a great way to get started because they open doors to so much. Like if you learn a second language and you, let's say you're Dutch and you learn Swedish, <laughs> the job opportunities you can get are just, you know, so unusual that people do that that you can just get any job you want or you can do translation, whatever. And you can travel the world and you can you can really feel a sense of purpose. Like, you know, you like you do with the the parenting and multilingualism. I do it with more sort of general language learning that, you know, I'm my kind of purpose is to share that message and show stories of people who have, have learned languages in order to inspire others. But I would never have done that if I hadn't gone to that first event. Yeah. For sure. Like 100%. Because that inspired me to do that. And the people I met there the first inspired time. me to do that. So for anyone listening, go to the, uh, <laughs> go to the events. The first time we met was at the, the New York event, right? 2015 Polga Conference. Yeah, that's true. At that you didn't even there was oh, no Langfest then. That, that started next year. Polyglot Conference 2015 is what really inspired Langfest to be to to be born. That was a great event. I really loved New York. That was it was so special. And and talk about special, like achieving something. You know, I, I was something at the time who was struggling with half baked university degree. I was depressed and didn't really have a purpose in life. And then I go to New York and I find myself on a rooftop bar with 150 amazing friendly people looking at the empire state building all lit up like you've seen it in movies and tv and i'm like how did i get here you know it's just you have to pinch yourself and, and the only way i got there was through going to the initial polygon gathering because otherwise i wouldn't have known about the polygon conference and i wouldn't probably have the the means to go if i hadn't hadn't uh, gone to that first event to save up money and and go there and, and otherwise yeah we wouldn't have met and if you hadn't gone there maybe there would be no Langfest <laughs> so people should definitely if you're listening to this try to make it to the conferences or the events you know they are kind of spread out around the world so most people will have one event that's you know closer to to them than others I, I do appreciate that it's very expensive to go to some of them like in europe or you know the cruise you know it's like a thousand dollars for the cruise so totally appreciate that not everyone can afford that and you know flying long haul is also still relatively expensive but if you do get the opportunity to save up for one of those events and go i i cannot recommend it That's enough right any one of them like like we're, we're all very supportive yeah, all, yeah. all the organizers are all very good friends and uh we we support each other we collaborate with each other and uh and you know we're we're not there to to fight for for uh, you know the, our audience. It's it's au contraire. You know we're really trying to grow the awareness of, uh, uh, and, and grow the whole community together. And uh, and there's just no better, there's no better way than collaboration. It's beautiful, I think. Absolutely, but Tetsu, thank you so much for coming back and updating everyone on the on your language learning journey with all the kids. And it's great to hear that they're all doing well. And we can't wait to potentially get you know maybe one day we get Ronnie on the show or <laughs> Nika or you know we could see how that could uh, turn out. That could be fun one day, or or we can go to your YouTube channel, of course. Can you just yes, uh, remind so us what the YouTube? My channel name is Tetsu, so it's Ask Tetsu is the, the handle for uh, YouTube. So Fantastic. And I assume people can ask you questions Absolutely. there <laughs> if they have any <laughs> parental questions. So, well, thank, thank you for having me uh, on your show. This is a, a great honor. No, no, the honor is all mine. It's, I, I'm so impressed with what you've done, and and I'm really even more so with kind of, the, again, the purpose of your, your sharing it with the world to, to improve the multilingualism giving more kids basically the gift of language i mean there's no there's no greater uh, purpose than Making, that so it's so my little contribution to make the world a better place <laughs> definitely i hope my kids will be able to live in a, a world where you know everybody speaks many languages and it's just a normal thing and that you know there's inclusiveness and, and diversity and all these good values are commonplace that's that's really what i hope I hope I'm hoping with you. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> My deepest gratitude goes out to Optolingo for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. 
You can get a free lesson on Optilingo by going to optilingo.com, available for iOS or Android, and it's spelled O-P-T-I-L-I-N-G-O, Optilingo. Thanks for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast with Chris Broholm. To get more language learning tips, strategies, and inspiration, join the Actual Fluency email club by going to actualfluency.com slash join. We hope you enjoyed the show and hope you've gotten some useful information. Till next time, this is the Actual Fluency Podcast, signing off.